Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, Check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello and welcome to the Health Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Lonnie Stewart from Columbia University. And I have as my guest today, my friend and colleague, Laurel Daniels Abrazizi. Um, And Laurel, uh, among your many designations, you're an associate professor of rehabilitation and regenerative medicine at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. And you're on the core faculty of the PT program. You're the director of the Columbia University Irving Medical Center Westside Dance Physical Therapy Performing Arts Fellowship. Uh, You're a fellow of the National Academies of Practice and a recent recipient of their Emerging Interprofessional Member of the Year Award. And you're on the steering committee of the Columbia Commons Interprofessional Education Group and and the liaison to the Student Advisory Board. I've invited you, uh, Laurel, to the podcast to discuss the National Academies of Practice, what it is, and some of the challenges with interprofessional education. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Thank you for having me. So uh, personally, basically through you, I only just became aware of the National Academies of Practice. I know it's been around for quite a while. The more I learn about it, the more fascinated I become by it. Could you tell us a bit about what the National Academies of Practice is, what their focus is, and how you became involved? Interestingly, physical therapy has only been a part of National Academies of Practice for about seven or eight years, but Hmm. the uh, NAP is the, the uh, abbreviation nah. for National Academies of Practice, has been around since 1981. And oh. really the, the focus of the, of the organization was to bring leaders in different healthcare professions together to ad- advocate for and advise governmental bodies you know, regarding the healthcare system. So to make sure that no siloed profession is advocating for an issue alone, to really bring, you know, you know, groups together around shared values and in particular, you know, affordable, accessible, coordinated quality healthcare. So believing that, you know, healthcare is improved when healthcare professionals can work together in teams um, to treat patients. So that seems very, that seems very powerful. So power in numbers, uh, bringing a group of disparate professional groups together to speak as one is uh, quite an amazing thing. How did you get involved? A few years back, I was part of a HRSA-funded grant project. Uh, It was a nurse practitioner-led, Jeffrey Kwong, at Columbia, and it was serving LGBT older adults in New York City. And it was a great interprofessional collaborative care team, PT, OT, nursing, medicine, psychiatry, social work. it was a great project. And at one of our physical therapy meetings, uh, there was a leader in NAP, uh, Jody Frost, who was passing out flyers saying, if you're involved in interprofessional work, please consider, you know, submitting an abstract to NAP to present your work at at this conference. So I learned about it through a flyer, (laughs) um, submitted an abstract and went to my first uh, NAP forum and found it to be incredibly engaging like it was not 
even if you go not knowing anyone there, there were so many ways to pull you into meaningful conversations. At mm-hmm. lunchtime, we were we were put at tables with interprofessional groups, so it wasn't just random seating. Oh, that's amazing. Were, everything was action-oriented. All of the workshops and presentations were really inspiring and engaging and i'm thinking you know how can i how can i get more involved in this group this is a great group of people that want to make a difference and um so that, that's you know I, I started by just presenting my own research and uh, and i love it can people just show up to a nap conference do they have to be a member or uh, no so the nap forum is typically in the spring in march or april and you can sign up and attend just as a member uh we actually abstract uh, the call for abstracts is open now. At, um, I think it closes September 21st. Um, so if you are involved in any sort of interprofessional research, there definitely is. Um, it's harder to get uh, an abstract accepted if you're just doing it on, in, on your own in your own profession. But if it's interprofessional work or if it's an educational program that would benefit multiple professions and you're going to put it out with other professional uh, professionals, um, you could submit an abstract and present as well. So um, anybody's welcome. And uh, there are e- even associate memberships you can join just as an associate member as well. You know, uh, interprofessional education is such a big topic. It's such a, a a wide-ranging and evolving topic in physical therapy education. And you and I have the benefit of, of working on a a large academic medical center where it, it should seem like a no-brainer. Um, no disrespect to Columbia. I mean, it, uh, many of the, the nursing, the dental, the medical school, PT, OT, you have speech, we have nutrition, um, social work. Uh, each, each program has its own curriculum. And then trying to do collaborative projects and to fit those into the curricula actually is is a tougher sell than I, I thought it would be uh, on such a big campus because everybody's so focused on their own students, their own curricula, um, and yet we want to do these things. Uh, there definitely are some challenges to interprofessional education. And what are some of those things that you're finding? Like what, what are the big necessaries to have for a successful interprofessional education? Um. I think one of the first things is to make sure there's a shared understanding of what interprofessional education is. (laughs) So just, you know, having people from different disciplines attend the same lecture is not interprofessional education. You need to have the different disciplines learning with and about each other. So there needs to be some sort of exchange or dialogue where you'd actually learn about the uh, the perspectives of the other professionals that are in the room. Mm. Um, so just attending a lecture wouldn't cut it for IPE. Um, there are core competencies for interprofessional education. So before you can even get into the the meat of 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 you know curricular topics that you might have already yeah. in your program, things like understanding how to communicate, understanding the roles of the other professionals on the team. Um, understanding teamwork and how that works and and what the shared values are. Those are some core competencies. So one of the things we did at Columbia to get around the logistical challenges of having a yeah. shared time in the schedule is we created an, an IPE orientation um, that's actually asynchronous and using technology. We have 
faculty from 10 different programs involved. We we put together groups of eight to 10 students from 10 different programs that work together over five days on an, an interprofessional curriculum that introduces them to the other professions on the campus, ah. roles, kind of challenging myths, going through a case study where you get to see the notes from all the different disciplines, and even um, a small unit around like structural determinants of health and identifying resources in our own yeah. Columbia community. We do that just to get everyone on the same page when they first <laughs> come in, because then you can build out, you know, topics in geriatrics or topics in, you know, social justice or weight bias or other other topics where people may come together. Pediatrics. Um, I think that the there are a lot of topics that we all cover in our siloed curriculums. Mm-hmm. The challenge of coming together to get the different perspectives is usually logistics. It's usually time and space. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you need, it's necessary to have, I guess, quite honestly, the, the, the directorships of each of these programs to say, to, to say, we're going to prioritize this and make, time for it in the schedule uh in certain in in a certain way so laying the foundation of separating out uh, giving everybody the breathing space to be able to do these uh things and that's i would i would say that's that's a big chunk to achieve right so there has to be a shared commitment to it to make it work um i think the other thing is too i think didactic uh seminar style classes, even asynchronous, those are easier to do than the hands-on clinical practice experiences. So making sure there are are opportunities to transition what you're learning in the classroom to real patient care and working with teams uh, with patients, Um, whether it be, you know, patients that are sick or managing chronic conditions or whether it's prevention and wellness models. Um, But some of the programs that do that well actually have a curriculum that starts, you know, in the classroom, maybe has some dedicated time set aside for interprofessional education, but then also has opportunities for teams to go out and and work with patients together. And that really is the gold standard. It's where we're all trying to head to, you know, really bring the patient care piece uh, to life. I will say, talking about the patient care piece, I've had the privilege of working with Dr. Beth Barron in the simulation rooms in the Vagilos Educational Center. And that's just one day, but we have PT students, OT students, nursing, MDs, and social work. And they get to go into work with a standardized patient, an actor who's been trained, and essentially do discharge planning. And each of them has different information on the Mm -hmm. patient. So if one, if one chart, if one discipline charges ahead without acknowledging the other disciplines, it all gets messed up (laughs) and it's pretty, it's pretty great. So they come out, uh, they have a debrief and then they go back in and do it again. And I I will say that the effect on the students across the board from each of the professions, they seem to be really energized after that, uh, that process. They learn a lot. I love the you know, simulation-based um, experiences, opportunities to work with standardized patients. It feels very real there, yeah. but that debrief is so important, right? And right. We, the, the, the nursing school also has um, the uh, simulation labs and we've partnered with them for um, some 
standardized patient cases as well. The challenge, again, is the logistics of getting your entire class through that experience. Um, It's a commitment of time and resources to make it happen, but it's a great learning experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Only a certain number of students can go through. You need to pay these actors. There's a budget. Um, There's time and money and resources, definitely. So that leads me to think of smaller programs. I was I was recently in Cherokee, North Carolina, and thinking about programs that don't have the benefit of being in a a major metropolitan center where they could essentially go almost across the street to another partner to collaborate. Are you aware of some of the strategies that colleges or universities deploy when they're in uh, more rural areas? Well, certainly taking advantage of technology and doing things online, but there are definitely programs that partner with other schools. So Mm. it may not just be like, you know, we're lucky enough to work with other programs within Columbia University Medical Center, but other schools may partner with another school. So your school may have PT and OT and the other school has pharmacy and then the med school is at another uh, location and they'll pull together. Of, of course, in those situations, the logistics and the planning yeah. is takes that much more work, but it's absolutely happening in, in different locales across the country. Um, and also thinking of, you know, service learning based experiences to mm. come together around serving a particular community, even though they come from different institutions. Um, what a great way to do IPE, to have a common service oriented endeavor have some sort of education up front, maybe on the ground before people see patients and and sort of collaborate, and then perhaps a debrief after the the event has occurred. Yes. Does that seem to be right on? Yeah, that's that would be amazing. I'm sure there's some examples out there. In fact, uh, if people have examples, get in get in touch with us. We'd love to hear about them. Laurel, if you if you'd like to see anything happen with IPE in the future, uh, is there? I want to just pick your brain. Is there anything that you'd like to see uh, happen? Do you have any particular dream for IPE, whether on our campus or across the United States or in PT education? And how would we make it work? Well, what I'm I'm appreciating in these past few years, the, there's been a lot more attention to the fact that racism is a public health threat and mm. a lot of the disparities or actually inequity that we that we see in healthcare is rooted in in racism and other forms of oppression that are systemic you know yeah and although we there's been evidence of this for a while it really has been in the last few years that you know, health professional programs have been more committed to integrating education um, into their curricula. And I think this is a great place where interprofessional education can kind of take advantage of that and let's learn about it together. And not just at the student pre-professional level. I think clinicians um, are eager to really expand Mm. Um, their knowledge base from a position of cultural humility, um, really recognizing we don't know as much as we need to know. And there's a lot that we can do to improve care and improve teamwork and improve the way we communicate with diverse teams. So just your own racialized identity can impact how we communicate with each other. But we also have 
different hierarchies to break down related yeah. to our professional identities, right? Whether it be MD or nursing or PT, how you know how is that impacting communication and team effectiveness? So, I think we can build on some of the work um, in terms of anti-racist pedagogy and the social justice curricula, and and weave it into interprofessional education, both at the pre-professional um, level and professional level. So I'm doing some of that work in NAP. You know, you mentioned NAP at the beginning. Yeah. I'm the uh, task, force task force chair for our justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion um, work. So we're writing a position statement, leading different efforts to do workshops and educational programming for, you know, all of the NAP members just to advance our own knowledge and practice, I think. Um, now's the time, right? That's so. great. Way to lift all professions at the same time and both pre-professional and professionals. Yes. That could, that very uh, 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 powerful um, way to combine forces and to educate everyone and to also break down a lot of barriers at the same time. Laurel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. If people want to reach Laurel, you can go to the Columbia University's DPT program website and go to the faculty. Her email's right there. <laughs> she, you won't find her much on social media. And I salute you because, you know, you get a little bit more work done when you stay on social media. <laughs> but anyway, I hope people come to the podcast. And uh, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Lonnie. Great to be here.